The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Yes, you are. Today's buzz, this is a heavy word, thinking Are you doing it? Do you like it? Is it a good thing? We have a lot to teach you today about thinking. Let's get started. According to an article in Forbes on December 10, 2012, that's almost ancient history, it was called The 10 Skills That Will Get You Hired in 2013. Guess what the top four skills were that were required by 90% of the most in-demand jobs? I'll tell you. Critical thinking. Remember that. Complex problem solving. You know what that is. Judgment and decision making. And lastly, active listening. Are you listening? I hope so. I have a pop quiz for all of our listeners today. If you were to apply today for a hot new job in tech, in business, something that really, really required you to put the muscle, put the pedal to the metal, and really use all of your skills and all your brain power, could you honestly answer when they asked you about critical thinking. What is your proficiency level? Do you even know what it is? I googled critical critical thinking and I found a wonderful diagram of creative versus critical. Creative, think about novelty and curiosity and imagination and playfulness and metaphor and analogy. And then think critical, evaluation, assessment, classification, reasoning, interpretation, analysis, OMG, big difference there. I have assembled a panel of interesting people who are really, really smart about critical thinking. We're going to tell you all the answers so you can ace that job interview. First up on the panel today is Dr. Mark Battersby. He's a professor and founder of the British Columbia Association for Critical Thinking Research and Instruction. That's a heck of a title on a business card. And the quote Dr. Mark Battersby sent me is as follows. The first step in critical thinking is logical self-defense. I want you all to write that down. There will be a quiz at the end of the show. Logical self-defense. And he says, it's learning not to be taken in by bad but persuasive arguments. I'm trying to persuade everybody to listen. Dr. Mark Battersby, welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for joining me. So talk to me. Logical self-defense and not being taken in by bad but persuasive arguments. Give us a little background, Mark, about two minutes, and let's let's kick off this topic definition. Please go ahead. Well, I'm a little disappointed, Robert, that you didn't uh, tell us a story showing how critical thinking was of great value because uh, using stories to make arguments is one of the classic fallacies that people use. 
Uh, people go to um, uh, Europe and they come back and you say, what are the French like? And they'll tell you a story of someone they met in the airport and they'll think somehow that justifies their generalization. And we all have experiences, but one of the things we tend to do is overrate our experiences and stories. We call that the uh, fallacy of anecdotal evidence. So that's just one of those uh, very persuasive arguments. People give you a story, and then you think that supports some kind of generalization, which it seldom does. What I actually tell my students and remind them is, your life's a bad sample. You're just one experience in the whole uh, sea of human experiences. And so we, we try to teach people to be intellectually humble um, about their experiences and to, therefore, of course, study, learn, get data, uh, rather than just rely on that. So that's just an example of the kind of self-consciousness that we try to encourage with, uh, teach, by teaching people critical thinking. Interesting, Mark. You know, the, the big mantra today, especially in business, is storytelling. We want people to share. We want them to, well, I come from the old computer days of mainframe computers. We used to call it doing a core dump when you were looking into the memory and trying to see where you had an abend or where the, the code went bad, if you will, where things stopped and came to a screeching halt. We talk about a core dump. So when I think of storytelling, I think of saying to people, tell me an example of your experience. And, and of course, I'm, I'm sounding kind of poetic because we want people people to be authentic. That's another huge buzzword. How do we go from what you said, uh, anecdotal evidence is not critical thinking. How do we balance that in today's culture? Just briefly, Mark, sure. what do you think? Well, the stories are very persuasive. They're powerful. They're illuminating. I don't want to say you should ignore stories, but you have to realize that your story may not be representative of what's really uh, going on out there. And uh, especially as you're a uh, said already in a couple of times, things change so fast, everything becomes ancient history. So a story which might be representative um, last year might not be representative this year. So it's, it's a kind of humility about them, understanding their power, but not being uh, swept along by them, thinking, oh, that shows it, that proves it. Thank you, Mark. And hence, the four letters that are so powerful in texting and in email, I believe, are I-M-H-O, in my humble opinion. Yeah, There's which, the pre- which is seldom humble. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Listen to me. I know it all. Thank you, Mark. Great start to our topic. Let's welcome your colleague, Dr. Sharon Balin. She is a professor emeritus in the Faculty of Education at Simon Fraser University. And Sharon sent me the following quote. Critical thinking is more than logical self-defense. It involves coming to a reasonable decision based on a careful evaluation of relevant reasons and data. Now, we know in this age of big data and swirling around data and velocity and volume and all that good stuff, relevant reasons and data is a very exacting thing and very demanding. Dr. Sharon Balin, welcome. How are you today? I'm just fine, thank you. Actually, I have a little bit of a frog in my throat, so if I sound a little croaky, I um, apologize. (laughs) That's okay. We can bring the frog on the panel and welcome. We have a fourth panelist. Sharon, uh, seriously, I hope you feel better. So tell me, reason decision based on a careful evaluation of relevant reasons and data, that sounds like a lot of work. Talk to me, Sharon. What's the, what's the basis for this quote? Um, well, it, it, it is um, work. I mean, it, it, it um, involves doing some serious thinking, but one can learn to do it better and more quickly. And um, the, I, I agree with Mark that the, about the importance of logical self-defense, about defending yourself against all the bad reasoning and bad arguments that are out there. But for critical thinking, you also you need to go, go beyond that. You need to do more than that. You have to figure out how to make decisions based on good arguments and uh, reliable information and relevant data. And, we, you know, we sometimes say data speaks for itself, but data doesn't speak for itself. It's crucially important. 
but we have to figure out what it's telling us in our particular context. So we need to assess the data and um, the other information that we acquire and see how it's relevant to the decisions that we are interested in making. Sharon, the word relevant, that brings in subjective, subjectivity to me, relevant reasons. It's uh, back to the IMHO, what matters to me right now? What matters to my job? What matters to my political party, my stand? What matters to my family? So relevant reasons, how does that, is that juxtaposed against critical thinking? Who's the definition of critical and whose definition of relevant? If you would just indulge me for just a moment more. Well, we mean relevant to the question we want answered. Um, uh, that's the, the, the relevance that's important. I'll give you an example about being clear about um, the question you want to answer. That's a part of critical thinking. And um, we read a, 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 about a um, company that wanted to find out about the success of their Internet advertising campaign. And so they collected data on the number of click-throughs. But what that told them was the number of hits on the site. It didn't tell us about tell them about how successful the campaign is, which would involve data on the number of hits that resulted in sales. So Mm -hmm. that data was not relevant to the question that they wanted answered. Okay, that sounds like a workaround or a uh, subterfuge or uh, a diversion, if you will. Very interesting. And and we're all in a a click-happy universe today where everything is measured by something and point well taken that sometimes it's simply not relevant. It doesn't answer the question. A lot more from you coming on during the show. Thank you, Sharon Balin. And rounding out our panel today is Deepa Sankar, Director of BI Product Marketing at SAP. And Deepa sent me the following quote. Analytics is not just about numbers. Look beyond those numbers. Welcome, Deepa. How are you today? Thank you, Bonnie. I'm doing great. Thanks for joining uh, us. So talk to me. Talk to me about the quote. Absolutely. Um, Sharon kind of touched on it uh, as she was talking about her views. Um, So there's a popular phrase that, in the numbers speak for themselves. um, But it's true to some extent, but certainly it requires an element of human insight, right? Um, so it's all about, you know, looking at these numbers from different angles based on one's, you know, subject matter experience or how uh, well you know about the topic. And also there are things that are very unique to your organization, you know, because I work for SAP and, you know, mm-hmm. you don't have to look at the numbers just from the number angle. You need to look at it more from your organization's uh, aspect and what is the source of information, what is the relevance, what's the validity, and then you make decisions based on those analysis, not just looking at those numbers. So you certainly need to use some of your intuition. It's more of an informed intuition that you acquire over years. So, Thank you, Deepa. Good, good, good. Uh, anything about my comment about IMHO and my question of relevance to Sharon, the subjectivity of relevant reasons and data and answering the question? Uh, we do work. I, I work for SAP as well, and analytics is, is huge for us. But the human element, your thoughts about the relevant question, Deepa? Absolutely. So I want to talk about a great example. You know, this is a uh, a newspaper article that came um, in the UK. You know, several newspapers reported that there are only just 100 codfish left in the North Sea, and certainly that's alarming, right? I mean, think about it. You know, codfish is consumed by people every day, and uh, so BBC started, you know, doing research on it, and they realized that, you know, there were only 100 codfish that were over age 13 left in the North Sea, 
right? Mm-hmm. So what does that mean to people like me, you, right? And uh, Not much. So they started doing more research, and they found that, you know, codfish actually mature at the age of one or two. And when you talk about age over 13, it's actually an ancient fish. Oh. So there are several millions of still codfish, you know, available in the North Sea. Uh, but that kind of report can, you know, send alarms to people. And, you know, this is where relevance comes into picture as well as the context, as well as, you know, how does it apply to you as an individual as well as an organization. Very interesting. And that goes to the A word I haven't mentioned. No, don't worry, guys. It's agenda, the agenda of the person reporting the data, what's on their mind and what is their goal. And, and Mark, back to your, your point, sometimes it's not the question, or i sorry, Sharon, it's not the question you're answering, it's the point you're trying to make. I'm going to give the panel a break from all this serious critical thinking right now and ask you a very important question because today's show is called Coffee Break with Game Changers. So Dr. Mark Battersby, I'm going to ask you where you're calling from and what's in your cup today. Tell me a great story in your humble opinion. Go ahead, Mark. I don't usually have humble opinions, but I'll try. Um, <laughs> uh, well, actually, I'm phoning, I'm phoning from um, Seashell, British Columbia, which is a, a rural community, a, a ferry ride away from Vancouver, British Columbia. It's pouring rain, but it's beautiful, and it's uh, warm for Canada. It's about uh, 9 degrees, 8 degrees Celsius. I don't know what that's Fahrenheit anymore, but then... Um, my coffee story actually goes back a bit to Deepa's story. I, uh, I'm a, a lover of coffee and have been for many, many years. I drink very strong coffee. I'm on my second uh, double long espresso this morning. And, uh, but people, are, researchers, uh, epidemiologists are often trying to get coffee. It looks like something that that's, uh, that enjoyable must be bad for you. And uh, a few years ago, well, many years ago now, there was quite a scare about the uh, coffee uh, being uh, correlated with um, increased uh, incidence of pancreatic cancer, which, as everyone knows, is a terrible cancer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I looked into that research, uh, alarmed um, and curious, and discovered that the critics of it pointed out that the people who uh, had done the study hadn't controlled, a very important uh, word in the research, controlled for uh, cream consumption. And when you did that... Um, it turns out there was no correlation between um, pancreatic cancer and uh, coffee. So I was again relieved. So when um, uh, it's what people leave out, uh, as Deepa pointed out, uh, which is often uh, crucial to understanding and evaluating a claim. Thank you. Very, very good case in point, Mark. Appreciate the story, and what a relief to know that. Dr. Sharon Balin, exactly where are you calling from? I'm and calling from rainy Vancouver. Okay, what's in your cup today, Sharon, in well, your cup my, with the, the my froggy? Story, my story is not so much about what's in my cup, but about getting something into my cup. Um, when I was at my former institution, it was coffee break time, and I went up to the faculty lounge to get my my shot of coffee and put my money into the coffee machine and waited, and nothing happened. So after waiting a bit, I pressed the coin return button to get my money back, and the coffee came out. So the next day I did the same thing, put the money in, waited a bit, pressed the coin return button, the, the coffee came up. I did this every day for a week. At the end of the week, I was talking to one of my colleagues, and I said, you have a very strange coffee machine where you have to press the coin return button in order to get the coffee out. And he said, what are you talking about? You just have to wait. So that was a case where I was not thinking critically because I had a correlation and I attributed causation, which is something probably Mark will talk about at some point this morning. There you go. And that was a great case of anecdotal evidence that really wasn't. So, 
<laughs> Great. I love the stories. And by the way, we love stories and case studies. And, and the three of you are really sharing wonderful stories. So thank you so much. And Deepa Sankar, where are you calling from and what's in your cup today? I'm calling from Palo Alto, California. It's, the weather out here is really beautiful, uh, 77 degree Fahrenheit. Um, so we have an early summer this time. Uh, so what's in my cup? Um, actually, I'm drinking a cup of water right now. Uh, but I usually start my day with chai. And um, when I talk about chai, people often think about the spicy chai you get at Pete's or Starbucks. And uh, interestingly, you know, when we talk about chai, we're talking about actually black tea and milk. And actually sugar and spices are totally optional. Um, so people often ask me, oh, can you drink spicy chai in the morning? Well, that's not the case. And um, chai is one of the most quintessential Indian beverages that's most consumed beverage next to water. So you can imagine, you know, how many people are drinking chai right now. I can imagine. We hear chai occasionally on the show. We get a lot of coffee drinks, and I'm waiting to see what my co-producer, Malcolm Kimberlin, is drinking. Let's see if we get it here. Um, okay, we have we don't have his drink yet. I'm sure he'll send it to us, and we'll read it after the break. I'm going to give my three panelists a break for about a minute and a half, let them gather their thoughts and come up with more wonderful. Oh, let's see. Malcolm says he's back to Equator Coffee's Fair Trade Alligator French. Thank you very much, Malcolm. And those who listen to the show regularly know that they don't let Bonnie drink caffeine on live radio show days. So there, so much for water with a straw, I might add. Absolutely. I'm speaking today to Dr. Mark Battersby, Dr. Sharon Balin, and Deepa Sankar. Great panel. We're talking today about critical thinking, path to true business intelligence. I know you all want to hear the answer to that one. That's not subjective at all. That's a fact. When we come right back, we will dive deeply into more about critical thinking. I think you're all going to learn a lot more. And I'll tell you, with Mark Battersby kicking off the roundtable, why critical thinking is like running. And that's a favorite of a lot of our listeners. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. You're listening to another live edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Don't even think of touching that dial. That mouse that app we'll be right back brad out when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9 percent of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision making in real time no matter where they are sap and sybase and sap company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to sap systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. 
Welcome back. My panelists today are Dr. Mark Battersby, founder of the British Columbia Association for Critical Thinking Research and Instruction, which is why he's on the panel today, joined by his colleague, Dr. Sharon Balin, Professor Emeritus in the Faculty of Education at Simon Fraser University. And rounding out the panel is my colleague, Deepa Sankar, Director of BI Product Marketing at SAP. Our topic today, Critical Thinking, Path to True Business Intelligence, with a question mark at the end. Now we're going to kick off the roundtable. We're going to go on a marathon here, about 30 minutes nonstop. I know my panelists have it in them to, to do a really lively virtual roundtable. We're going to start off with a statement Dr. Mark Battersby sent me before the show, and I think is very telling on many levels. The statement is, critical thinking is like running. Makes me think of life as like a box of chocolates, Dr. Mark Battersby. You say we all do it, but we can learn to do it better. That's why we need, here's the magic word, coaches. So, Mark Battersby, explain this to me, please, and then we will ask Sharon and Deepa to chime in. Go ahead, Mark. Sure. Well, obviously, um, people raise objections, uh, say that's a bad argument, uh, are persuaded by good arguments. Uh, Particularly, uh, people tend to be pretty good at critical thinking about views they don't like, they don't agree with already, so then they think of all sorts of objections. That's the sort of logical defense side of critical thinking. Um, So we don't want to claim that we're teaching you something uh, like physics or something that you might not know how to do or know about. Uh, we're teaching you to improve something that you already do, but you can learn to do better. And it's a kind of a uh, endless, endless project. Uh, you go to philosophy department meetings, and people make all of the same fallacies that, that people uh, make who haven't been trained in critical thinking. So we all have to work at it. Um, I've done many workshops with uh, with faculty, all of whom you know have PhDs and stuff. Doesn't make any difference. Um, we can all learn to do this better, including the very people who are teaching. And so that's why I think about it like running or, or something that everyone does, but we know that if you have coaches, you can learn to do it much better and that you have to, if you want to be really good at it, you have to be very self-conscious and practice it. Mark, how do you know that the coach is the right coach? This goes back to all kinds of coaching, and we know today there's a plethora of coaches available for everything from organizing your closets to getting you motivated. A coach is not a therapist. Uh, most of us know that by now. A coach is somebody who will help uh, help you reach your goals in a prescribed period of time. They won't do it for you, but they'll help you figure out how to do it better yourself. So how do you pick a critical thinking coach? Mark, add, add a couple of lines about that, and then we'll have Sharon and Deepa chime in. Go ahead. Well, two things to say. First of all, you answered the question um, okay. when you asked me it because, uh, you know, you have to, you, you're going to have to test the coach. It's just like a doctor or anybody. Uh, uh, you go to them or they have the apparently correct credentials, and then you have to see if they work for you and they really do deliver the goods. Uh, there is an association, Association for Informal Logic, that has a website that posts uh, people who are willing to coach, and they're on the whole, would that, it would be a reliable uh, source. Um, but, uh, again, I think you have to check, is this working for me? Am I, am I learning? Am I becoming more intellectually empowered? If it is, the coach is working for you. If not, it's not. Okay. Sharon Balin, Dr. Balin, what do you think about this idea of critical thinking is like running and that we need coaches? Thoughts on both, please? Um, I think the running analogy is a good one um, because it is, it, it's important to understand that this is not some exotic um, skill that uh, we're going to teach, that we do think critically, and we all think we think critically, um, but we don't always do it all that well, but one can learn to do it better. And just, um, I'll give you a story in everyday life about um, critical thinking and sort of its, its importance and how we can learn to do it better, and um, it revolves around um, 
a case of a young boy who became very ill and almost died of what was um, a, a virus that had been virtually eliminated through vaccination. But with all the scares around vaccination in the media, his parents hadn't allowed him to be vaccinated. And the child almost died. Fortunately, he didn't. But there were there are a few things that, that if, if the, the parents had been thinking critically, um, more critically, they would have discovered, for example, that the any evidence about a connection between vaccination and, um, well, at, at that time it was autism or other horrible consequences had been discredited. So there was really no evidence that the people who were still uh, pushing this view generally didn't have any medical expertise and that the risks of the diseases that we might get if we're not vaccinated are much worse than any possible consequences from vaccination. And it's not, it wouldn't be that hard to find these things out if you have a few skills and you know what to look for. So these are people who uh, certainly you know, were trying to be critical, but if they had acquired a few skills and procedures, they could have thought much better, and the consequences were really quite profound in this case. Very much so. We hear that a lot. Thank you, Sharon. Deepa Sankar, thoughts on the critical thinking is like running, and that's why we need coaches. Deepa? Yes. Um, critical thinking is absolutely required, you know, for any individual. It's a, whether you're taking personal decisions or it's a decision that you need to take for your organization. And what I've seen is, you know, these days, you know, every you know, employee at every level, you know, whether you're an executive, you're middle management, you're an intern, you're expected to solve problems and use critical thinking to make decisions. So it's certainly a very and a big aspect uh, of your skill set. And, um, of course, you know, there's sometimes people don't use critically think and they take, you know, decisions based on their own experience or sometimes there are biases. Uh, sometimes you tend to reject feedback from based on who it is coming from, right? Um, so uh, it's certainly, I think, a coach would, you know, having a coach for critical thinking would certainly help. That's my viewpoint. I appreciate that. Thank you, Deepa. And we're going to take this conversation a little bit of a turn. I'm going to pick up a talking point Dr. Sharon Balin sent me before the show, and I'd like to have Sharon talk about this, and then we will ask Dr. Mark Battersby and Deepa Sankar to chime in. So, Sharon, here's the point you sent me. You say decision-making involves more than just using data. We've established that already. But here's the point that's so interesting to me. You need to consider counter-arguments downside risks and alternative views before making a decision. And then you add, here's the caveat, avoid confirmation bias, only looking for evidence that supports your own position. That's a lot of work again, Sharon. How do you, I know you and Mark coach people in critical thinking and decision-making. You coach organizations and businesses. So, Sharon, how do you coach people to consider the weight, the relative or important weight of the counterargument, the downside risk, the alternative views, and still do critical thinking? What does that basket of evidence and data look like, Sharon? Well, the, I mean, I think the first step here is to be aware that you need to do this, just to understand that, um, to understand the risk of confirmation bias. Uh, confirmation bias, that is only looking for evidence that supports your view and downplaying or ignoring evidence that contradicts it, is a very, very common human tendency. It's one of the most robust findings of cognitive psychologists that we, we, all, we all tend to do this. Um, so being aware that we all tend to do this is a first step. 
and then taking very deliberate measures not to do it. So you have to force yourself after you've gone through the, you know, what are the, what are the reasons, what is the data telling us, how can I assess the data, is it good, etc. Then at that point you need to say, okay, now what have we ignored? You have to get into a habit of saying, what have we ignored? Hmm. Is there counter evidence? Are there downsides to the proposal and alternatives? I mean, I think one of, one of the conclusions that Mark and I have come to is that one of the most important aspects of thinking critically is looking at alternatives. If you're only looking at one proposal or one possibility and you can look at its, look at its pros and cons, um, you haven't done an important part of the job, which, which is to say, is it better than all? What alternatives might there be? Might there be alternatives that do a better job in, in answering our question and meeting our needs, et cetera? So I think it's, it's a being aware that we do that and then um, uh, getting in the habit of doing it. And um, there's a strategy that uh, we read about which we, we found really interesting for doing that, for, um, and that is that you is called a premortem. That is, you are about to take a decision. So then you imagine that it's one year into the future, and the decision you've been considering has been implemented, and it didn't work. Ask yourself, hmm. what has gone wrong? What has gone wrong? Very interesting. So project into the future, predict the future, and then go back. And Yes, very, very interesting. So it's that uh, over-the-shoulder backward look from the future back to the present. Interesting strategy. Deepa Sankar, do you use this in, in your own decision-making, not to get personal, but in your own decision-making in your job and, and working with data and intelligence? What do you find about considering counter-arguments, downside risks, and alternative views? Does that have any place in, in business from your point of view, Deepa? Uh, absolutely. And one of the things, you know, sometimes you're unable to come up with alternate solution because you're thinking in, a, in one direction. So this is where the collaborative decision making comes into play. So, you know, you work with your colleagues, your, you know, peers and ask them for, you know, feedback, opinions, you know, and they might have some creative idea that you never thought about. Uh, so certainly, you know, we, you know, work as a group in a collaborative environment to come up with decisions, to make decisions, which is right for the company. Uh, so that will certainly help in making better informed decisions, not just looking at the data, but also getting, you know, feedback from your coworkers. Okay. I want to a second. Please, yes, Deepa, Mark, I was going to come to you. Chime in. Go ahead. Um, because uh, we hear uh, anecdotally um, that uh, so many uh, decision-making processes in corporations involve uh, undue de deference to uh, the uh, the boss or, or the CEO or whoever's there, and that really undermines the um, collaborative and creative and critical process. And uh, thinking back, uh, there was um, a, a terrible a tragedy at a plane crash where a plane that was running out of gas, and the the co-pilot uh, knew that and was phoning the uh, the uh, airport say that we had to make an emergency landing, and uh, uh, but he didn't have the uh, confidence to mention it uh, strongly to the uh, to the pilot, and they ended up they did run out of gas and they did crash, and they went back mm -hmm. and they decided they had to change the whole hierarchical structure in 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 the cockpit because they the, the co-pilots and others needed to feel confident to speak up and, and to criticize the pilot when they thought they were doing something wrong. So uh, we have to legitimate uh, in the structure of our organization, make sure it's okay for people to speak out and raise alternative point of views and even to uh, seek out the person, make sure there is someone in the group who's, who's uh, a dissident. Uh, 
the, the you know the Eeyore or whatever. You may not be persuaded by him, but it's important to hear, hear, hear his or her point of view. Absolutely, Mark. And this is where the company culture plays a big role, right? I mean, as you said, whether it's hierarchical or everyone has a voice in the organization. So that's why, you know, these days, you know, companies are investing in a good culture. What they meant by good culture is everyone has a voice. You know, they are heard and, you know, they have an opinion in, in making those big decisions, right? I mean, because every employee is valuable for a company. So certainly, you know, the culture of the company plays a big role in some of these aspects as well. Thank you, Deepa. I want to add a a four-letter word to this conversation. The word is time. What if you don't have a lot of time for everybody to weigh in, a lot of time for evaluating so many different factors, the downside, the upside, the divergent opinions, the collaborative think tank approach? What if you don't have time? Who gets to be the one who should be making the most important critical thinking decisions? Mark Battersby, why don't you start this off? Well, I don't know if I have an easy answer to that. I think one of the critical things, decisions you make is how much time is this decision worth? Um, notoriously, academics spend way more time on a decision than it's, or an idea that it's probably worth. But in business, they're much more self-conscious about that. Uh, nonetheless, if you're spending millions of dollars or you're risking the reputation of the company, you may want to spend a little more time on it. So I think one of the things that people need to do is to think uh, just how much time uh, is is such a decision worth. And the second thing I guess I want to say, thinking back to the example that Sharon gave about the was, was the measles vaccine, as it turns out, it's, it's amazing in this day and age of the web and the Internet how quickly you can get much more relevant and credible information than you're getting by, by just hearing what people say or reading the media. So... Um, a lot of this thing, a lot of this effort uh, to find out what the what the story really is, takes less time than uh, people imagine, and but yet they just don't do it. Sharon, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I would echo uh, what Mark says about um, really deciding how much time a a uh, it's worthwhile putting into a decision. But also, I think um, going back to Deepa's point about the collaborative culture, I think once you if you have this structure set up and the um, the within the organization and uh, collaboration is a kind of routine, then it's not necessarily more time-consuming. It's just the way you do things. It's the way you, you go about things, and people are used to working like that and working together. And um, so I think that would help in terms of the time issue as well. Deepa, thoughts about the time crunch, where a decision has to be made by fill-in-the-blank, 10 minutes from now, one week from now. Time is of the essence. Speed is so important in business today. We had a show on manufacturing yesterday, and we talked about speed is the new cost of doing business and succeeding. So what's your thought about speed in the critical thinking process, Deepa? It's a great question because I often run into that issue. You know, you know, um, Bonnie, so time is a critical factor when it comes to decision-making. So that's why, you know, companies are investing these days into, you know, they want to be prepared. You know, they want to proactively, you know, prepare for the changing market conditions or, you know, competitive, from a competition standpoint. Um, so this is where analytics plays a big role. You know, companies are investing into software, hardware, you know, data analysis, so that they are well prepared. And, you know, if you come and ask me, you know, I need to have an answer, you know, based on what I know about the data, you know, my company, the data, the competitive landscape, um, I'm expected to bring, get a, give an answer to my boss. So, so companies are making huge investments. Yes, critical thinking is, you know, certainly a big aspect around it, but 
data comes into the picture right now. You know, so you need to make informed decision based on whatever data you have at that moment. Thank you, Deepa. I have a question for the entire panel. I'll start off with Dr. Mark Battersby. Today, with decision making, it, that's what businesses rely on: the, the the proof points with the data and the right people sitting in the right chairs at the C-suite, supported by the right people on their teams, all the way up and down the the food chain. I call it of of thinking in today's enterprise, from the startup all the way up to what I like to call the big behemoth companies, the the, the monsters, the legacy companies. Who should be in charge of making those most critical decisions? Should it be somebody at the top relying on teams to access all that data and look at all those counter arguments? Mark, why don't you kick this off? Who should be the one who is responsible? You know the old phrase, the buck stops here. Where should the buck stop in terms of critical thinking? And do we need a new chair in the C-suite called the CTO, the critical thinking officer? Mark, what do you think? Uh, I doubt it. <laughs> um, it's a lovely idea. We may adopt it. Uh, uh, well, I think I think Deepa has spoken to it. I think you know it's a cultural thing. By the time mm-hmm. that the information is getting up to the to the decision, people who could actually have the authority to make the decisions, it should have been properly vetted. They should have gotten proper advice. The range of possible decisions should have been considered. And put before the decision makers. So I think there's a, the culture question is the critical one there, um, and it also depends, I guess, uh, just what kind of decision. Are we, you know, if we're talking a major shift in the corporation, that's one thing. If we're talking whether to buy uh, uh, SAP Analytics A or B, that's obviously something that's often made farther down by people who have the relevant expertise and be using the, mm-hmm. the using the material and are, are impacted by it. One one great danger in decision making which isn't really related to critical thinking, though, is that people who make the decision are too far removed from the actual implications of the uh, of the decision. This is a big problem in politics, but it's also a yes. problem in large corporations. So you want to make sure that the people who are affected and are knowledgeable, uh, and maybe people right on the shop floor are involved uh, because they're the ones who really know how it works at, at that level, and that their input is crucial. And, Mark, Mark. I think there should be a communication going up and down, right? I mean, people who are on the show floor has the information, but it should be communicated all the way to the top. So it's also, again, part of the culture, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, that of uh, Steve Jobs and Pixar. I'm sure most people know this story about the way he set up the the new uh, Pixar uh, studio so that everyone had to run into everyone. I think he put all the bathrooms in one place or something, um, so that there was just inevitable constant communication between all all people. So they couldn't isolate themselves in the the CEO suite or the fourth floor or something like that. And I think that was quite insightful. Very and, interesting. And Go ahead. one of the um, findings of a lot of research on. Um, collaboration and collaborative decision-making is um, that it's important to have the teams to be interdisciplinary. That is not just a team of people in marketing or in design, but actually what seems to work best is when the team is goes across different aspects. And so, so factors related to the marketing of the design of the product, the marketing of product, et cetera, et cetera, are all taken into account in making the decision and that that also will help to to um with this kind of collaborative collaborative aspect of decision making and making sure that input from various relevant sources come in 
Thank you, Sharon. I have a question for the whole panel again, uh, something I brought in the very beginning of the show. I'm looking at this diagram of creative thinking, critical thinking, and I mentioned that old-fashioned process, Venn diagram. Those of you who are not of the age where you remember that, if, I don't even know if it's still taught in school, or maybe it's coming back into, into a mathematics. I'm not sure where it belongs, but it's where two circles each have their own population of ideas or thoughts or data, and they intersect at some point, and the intersection is what they have in common. So I noticed in your bio, Dr. Sharon Balin, that you are the author of, quote-unquote, a significant number of articles on exactly that, critical thinking and creativity. So let's dive a little bit, Sharon, if you will, please, and then we'll have Mark and, and Deepa jump in. And I love the way the panel's interacting. That's exactly what we want to do. So thank you all. Sharon, creative, creativity and critical thinking and elements like openness to novelty, idea generation, curiosity, imagination, invention, metaphor, analogy. How do these play into the business world of critical thinking? Sharon? Well, first of all, in terms of the Venn diagram and the kind of, it, it sounds like from the way you describe it, that it's the kind of typical opposition. There's critical thinking and there's creative thinking, and they're quite mm -hmm. different. And there may be a little bit of intersection, and that's, you know, a little area of intersection is what you want. But really, that's a myth. And all theorists and researchers who've looked at creativity and actual cases of invention have really discredited that kind of a view that there's critical thinking, which is not creative, and there's creative mm. thinking, which is not critical, and maybe sometimes you do <laughs> both together. But actually, if you think about what's involved in coming up with, with something new, certainly it involves imagination, um, originality, being open, but it also has to involve critical thinking. If you're coming up with something new that actually is useful, that solves a problem, that it makes an advance in some way, not just something completely silly and random, then you have to be thinking critically about what the problem is. You have to be evaluating different solutions. And it really goes goes back and forth. I mean, you're doing both. Um, when you're thinking critically, you have to use your imagination to generate alternatives, for example, what we talked about. Or um, you have to um, often come up with new solutions or find ways to say, well, actually, um, we don't have to do A or B. We can actually do C, which involves maybe some common, the best of A and B. So you're coming up with it with a new idea. So there, that kind of separation, I think, is just false. You you're, have to be creative when you're thinking critically and, and thinking critically when you're coming up with, with new ideas. So I really think that separation is just a kind of myth. Thank you. We always like to bust myths here. Deepa, what are your thoughts on this, creativity and critical thinking in your business experience? Uh, I think... Um you certainly need critical thinking as part of creativity because, you know, you certainly want to think out of the box, but at the same time, you want to do things that are right for your organization. So you don't want to deviate too much. Um, so certainly critical thinking plays some role, but at the same time, you need to use your imagination and creativity and something you haven't done before, right? I mean, maybe you want to reach some new markets. Um, which you have never done before, and you may have very little data. So this is where your imagination, maybe you might have some data, uh, but, you know, and then, of course, you need to apply some critical thinking because you're taking a risk here. You know, you're, you're using new methodology or new approaches to reach out to the market. Thank you. Mark Battersby, thoughts on this before we yeah, go to break? Well, two points. In reference to Deepa's point, I mean, why would you be seeking new markets? Because someone said, 
we haven't got enough market share in this area or something. I mean, someone made a critical mm-hmm. remark. So it's usually the critical remark that inspires people to start to think outside the box or to think of alternative decisions. If you're uh, happy enough with the way things are going and you're not critical, you won't, you won't start to get creative and say there must be a better way to do this. But then I also want to tell an anecdote. So I want to clear my position yes. on anecdotes here. Anecdotes are powerful and illustrative. They just don't support generalizations in any strong way. And this is a story a friend of mine told me of his um, mother who was an artist, and uh, she was very concerned about being creative and felt that uh, she was too uh, constrained and she wasn't creative. But she went to a museum and looked at, was looking at the Picasso pictures and noticed on the edge that they had been painted over repeatedly, that there were many, many layers. And what obviously Picasso had done, he hadn't been happy with layer one, so he painted layer two over it and painted layer three. And, and so Picasso, who's our icon of creativity, was an enormously critical person. And if you look at the history of his, and Sharon could say more about it, his own artistic development involved a lot of criticism of art of the day and, and going uh, into this other creative element. So really, I, I see critical thinking as a crucial inspiration, uh, at, at the very least, to creativity. Sharon, you want to respond to what Mark said before we go out? Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree, and and just in terms of uh, your question about how it applies in in organizations, and um, really one of the one of the findings about the organizations that are seem to be creative is that they tend to have these kind of collaborative teams that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, it's, it's not so much that uh, they have a few creative people, quote-unquote, but actually they have structures where people can bounce ideas off each other and build on each other's ideas. That's an important dimension, not just everyone has their own idea and everyone contributes an idea, but rather people do what, let's say, a jazz ensemble does, that is build on each other's ideas to come up with, with something new. I'm I'm thinking of the term think tank, and it makes me think of think or sink or swim, you know, diving into shark tank, think tank. Before we go to break, and I'm just going to take 30 seconds for this, I found a a very interesting, another diagram that's, it's not the Venn diagram, but it's called critical and creative thinking. Let me just read the four parts. It's a wheel. One is inquiring, identifying, exploring, and clarifying information. We've talked about that. Another is generating innovative ideas and possibilities. We've covered that. Another one is reflecting on thinking, actions, and process. So that would be putting it all together and coming up with something. And part of that is analyzing, synthesizing, and evaluating information. I like this diagram because it gets it all here. And uh, Sharon, to your point, the diagram is called critical and creative thinking all in one place. Imagine that. Guess what? I'm doing some critical thinking here, and I think it's critical for me to give my three guests a break for about 90 seconds. We're talking today to some really smart people about something you all need to know how to do better, including moi, critical thinking. My guests today are Dr. Mark Battersby, Dr. Sharon Balin, and Deepa Sankar. And we have to do a shout-out to Leah Stussy at SAP, who helped bring this topic to us along with Deepa. Thank you, Leah. Okay, we're going to take our final break. When we come back, it's time for the critical thinking round of Crystal Ball, Look Into the Future. Dr. Mark Battersby, Dr. Sharon Balin, and Deepa Sankar, what do you think we would be talking about five years from today in terms of has the world caught on to and is it doing better? Are the running coaches now critical thinking coaches? 2019, what will we be saying about critical thinking? I'm Bonnie D. Graham, thinking as critically as I possibly can. We're going to have about seven minutes when we come back. You're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. We'll be right back. Brad out. The 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are. Our topic today is critical thinking, path to true business intelligence, and we could also say path to greater experiences and greater satisfaction in your job and greater company success. I think we have covered everything along that spectrum of the benefits of well-done critical thinking. Now it's time to look to the future critically. I'm going to start off with Dr. Mark Battersby. Mark, if we met again five years from today, and I certainly hope we do, and talking about critical thinking, what will have transpired in your humble opinion between now and then in terms of advancements or people doing it better or a new profession of critical thinking coaches. Mark, I'll give you about a minute and a half, two minutes, go. Okay, well, what I'd like to see, I guess, and what might happen because it's starting to happen in the um, academic uh, institutions is that people stop talking about it and actually make some effort to see how well our institution is indeed uh, thinking critically so that there would be systematic uh, assessments, uh, just as there are assessments of uh, the HR department, assessments, finance, you know, there's all the bottom line assessments. We'd also be in some meaningful way checking on how good the communicative and thinking processes are, and we'd have uh, people who are trained to do that. So I I think uh, we've heard people have been saluting critical thinking for years and years, but uh, a lot of it is just uh, window dressing, and then uh, people ignore it when uh, in, the, in the actual processes of every day. So I'd like to see, or I hope maybe it would happen, that it's taken much more seriously and real efforts are made to assess whether it's, uh, the organization is really delivering on uh, its, its commitment to critical thinking. Thank you, Mark. Where do you think you'll be in five years? Will you still be collaborating with Sharon on coaching and teaching of critical thinking? Yes, well, we, we just, uh, I just uh, actually, uh, you said I was a professor, but I just retired a couple of months ago, and oh. Sharon and I have formed this uh, group called the Critical Inquiry Group, and uh, we plan to provide coaching uh, as long as we think we're able and uh, powerful. So that's, uh, that's the plan. We'll have to see how it all works out. I'm sure enjoying, on the other hand, being up here in the country. <laughs> Very good. May the force be with you. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. It just felt right. Dr. Sharon Balin, why don't you take two minutes for your predictions? No rush. Go ahead, Sharon. Okay, well, I'm... I'm an optimist by nature, so I'm mm-hmm. going to say that in five years we're going to be looking back and saying it, what, we were we were actually debating these things. I mean, we didn't understand them back then, but now uh, critical thinking is just commonplace and it's permeating organizations in terms of their 
their structure and the way they do things and the way they they think about decisions and that um, critical thinking coaching is going to be commonplace just like hockey coaches you wouldn't have a hockey team without a hockey coach that critical thinking coaching will just be part of the uh, the order of the day Sharon at what point in someone's career would you advise them today let's say somebody in graduate school uh, journalism school or taking their MBA at what point would somebody or should somebody consider taking on a critical thinking coach because it's not something I hear very often so what what do you advise well, it is something quite new, and I think um, you you need background in critical thinking in your particular context. So in addition to expertise in whatever you're doing, you need to think about what critical thinking, have some understanding of what critical thinking means in your context. So you, you would have had to work on that in particular and and um, have experience in how, you know, how to go about trying to develop it and foster it. Um, well, we want critical thinking in uh, high schools and maybe even elementary mm-hmm. schools, and it shouldn't be something that just pops up in graduate school. Uh, and, in fact, uh, critical thinking courses are given all across North America, and by and large, they're enormous success. Students appreciate the insights and power they get from them. So we want it to pervade the, the culture way before we get to graduate school or professional activities. Mm-hmm. And I fact, like that. I, I'm, um, yeah teaching uh, educators, doing a master's degree for educators who are trying to infuse critical thinking in, in whatever they're teaching. Wow. And I just discovered a creativity in business strategies and techniques. Um, let's see. I looked up critical thinking t- courses, and I found something at Harvard. Very interesting. Harvard Division of Continuing Education. Let's see. Uh, we have critical thinking courses at the Phoenix E-Online University, of course. Critical thinking and global challenges courses. Critical thinking where to begin. Um, online courses for instructors in critical thinking. Tools for taking charge of your learning. It's part of, um, let's see now, it looks like the borough of Manhattan in New York Community College, Developmental Skills, Linguistics, and Critical Thinking. So it is, and here's an interesting one, thinkwatson.com, Training in Critical Thinking. Very interesting. I'm, I'm very surprised and very delighted. Deepa Sankar, it's your turn up on the Crystal Ball segment. What do you see? Uh, take about two minutes, Deepa. We're in no rush. What do you see five years from today from your viewpoint on data, business intelligence, and the role of critical thinking? Deepa? So I think um, critical thinking is becoming more and more common in workplace. And even as, you know, I think Mark and Sharon mentioned that even in preschools, I can see my three-year-old thinking critically to make decisions. You know, now I need to think more than her. So it's becoming very common. I think the educational system is changing. Uh, they're making even kids to think critically so that they can make, you know, good decisions. Uh, one of the wishes that I have, you know, when I look at, you know, like technology, when you look at technology, I wonder whether technology is enabling critical thinking or we are becoming lazier and lazier. Uh, you can look at, you know, self-driving, you know, the cars that Google announced, uh, the Amazon drone, uh, interactive cooktops that I heard the new concept they announced at the Consumer Electronics Show recently. Um, so I was trying to put everything together, and then what I wish is, like, uh, maybe five years from now when I go back home, you know, I tell my interactive cooktop to make white chocolate crumble and it can talk to my refrigerator, check for the ingredients, order something on Amazon. The Amazon drone will um, deliver the ingredients, and then I go back home, and my crumble is ready. I don't have to I think anything that. about my dinner. 
And uh, Deepa, do you know what? I love that M to M. And you know, I, I learned yesterday on the show that they are now making 3D printers. Are you ready for this, Deepa? That can print yeah. chocolate. They print chocolate oh. on a 3D print. Be still my heart. I'm still shaking on that opportunity. I think I'm going to save up my bonus money for a 3D printer <laughs> because I'll tell you, I need chocolate on demand when I work till one or two in the morning getting ready for radio shows. A quick note, I found another great course. It's called The Great Courses on your, dece- your deceptive mind, Mark and Sharon. And interesting, your deceptive mind, a scientific guide to critical thinking skills. Who sh- what should you think? Who should you believe? Could you be deceiving yourself? Interesting. On thegreatcourses.com. I want to thank, oh my goodness, let's see, quickly. We have a lot coming up on radio. Tomorrow is Thursday. We have Future of Business with Game Changers at 7 a.m. Pacific. Worth getting up for. Thursday afternoon, 1 p.m. Pacific, Startup Focus with Game Changers. Next Monday, we start all over again with our five live shows a week. Financial Excellence with Game Changers. 10 a.m. Pacific Monday, Tuesday, HR Trends with Game Changers comes back for a new 13-week flight. We want to say bye-bye and thank you to our sponsors of BizBuzz with Game Changers, which just finished its 13-week run yesterday, now available on demand on the Business Channel. And Wednesday, we'll be back again right here with Coffee Break with Game Changers. Thank you to my very special guest, Dr. Mark Battersby, Dr. Sharon Balin. Feel better, Sharon. I didn't hear the frog at all. And Deepa Sankar at SAP. Thank you also to Leah Stussy, my former colleague and, and longtime friend at SAP for helping with Deepa to bring us this great topic. Malcolm Kimberlin, my co-producer and for tweets. Brad and the Business Channel team. I have a call to action for my listeners. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers presented by SAP. Talk to you tomorrow morning bright and early on the future of business with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.